Knoxville Game Design March 2018 Save Games in Unity with Dylan, Levi, and Jake. Welcome everyone to the March 2018 Knoxville Game Design. Uh, we are developers in Knoxville and East Tennessee area, and we develop games. Uh, we get together every now and then and do game jams and things like that. We get together once a month and talk about topics in the game industry and also share some of our knowledge out there to the community about things that we use, tools and topics and things like that that we use uh, while developing games ourselves. Uh, this month, we just have myself, I'm Levi Smith in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and also we have Dylan Wolf in Lenore City. Hello. Uh, we just have one announcement this month. Uh, so we have Ludum Dare uh, 41 coming up uh, here in April, so yeah, a little bit more than a month away. I uh, got the big Ludum Dare coming up. Um, that's going to be, let's see what the exact date is here, GDC, um, April 20th is Ludum Dari, Friday night, and we're going to do a little bit of a change, we're going to uh, meet up at this new uh, gaming place called Token, uh, I've been there a few times, really cool place, they got pinball, board games, uh, arcade games. I got a lot of tables where we can sit and just to change things up a little bit for the last year we've been meeting at Panera Bread. Uh, so this is a cool place. Uh, they do have alcohol and serve alcohol there, but it is for all ages. Uh, so it's cool to bring your kids and everything there. Um, so yeah, uh, we're planning on meeting there probably at 7 p.m. Uh, on that date, what was it, April 20th on the Friday. So yeah, come out and put that on your calendar. Come out and join us if you want to hear us uh, talk about Ludum Dare for the big kickoff and participate in the big countdown to the theme announcement. Yeah, and if you happen to be in the area for Codestock, uh, that's actually the same weekend. Um, like, I'm going to go to Codestock, but I'll probably still show up at the meetup. But... Yeah. Yeah, so Dylan, you're going to be doing a talk at Codestock this year? Yeah, it's on like using LinkPad as kind of a um, integrated shell and like uh, doing just sort of utility, using it as kind of like to do like utility things and day to day development. Um, yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I have always like gone to code stock in the past, so I might try to pop in for that really quick. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't off the top of my head. I don't know that they've actually scheduled it, so I don't know when it's going to be. Oh, okay. But. Definitely let us know, and I'll post that up to the website. So even though it isn't, may not be game development related. I mean, you're yeah. part of our game developer group, and anything that you're doing, let us know, and we'll post it out there. Yeah. Like I said, if if you're in town, you know, we'd love to have you show up even if uh you know, even if you're not doing let them dare let them dare loot them dare. Yeah. <laughs> how tomato tomato, however we want to pronounce it. Uh let's see here. Uh what else was going on? Oh yeah, so 
that's going to be a very busy weekend because I think, uh, and since I visited the uh, guys in Run, Run, Jump, Dev in Lexington, Kentucky, I think their vector conference is also, it's like everybody plans their conference on the same weekend. I don't know why, but I think they are that same weekend as well or somewhere close to that. But they have uh, a game developer conference, and I think they're tied in with EKU, Eastern Kentucky University, and they have game design talks and things like that. But if you miss that one, I think you can always get their talks online. They record a lot of their stuff and put it online. Um, we don't have very much show and tell this month, uh, but I will briefly talk about what I've been working on. Um, I have the let me go ahead and share out my screen oh and by the way if you're listening on itunes you can always get the video version of this show on youtube just search knox game design and you should be able to find this share screen so a lot of times during these meetings we show off what we've been working on, and we always talk about it, and say, and we do a pretty good description of describe, do a pretty good job describing what we've been working on. Uh, but you don't get the full experience if uh, if you don't have the video. Oh, and by the way, while I'm thinking about it. Um, make sure if you want to get the updates of when we meet, like notifications and topics that we'll be talking about, sign up for uh, the mailing list. Uh, you can just go to knoxgamedesign.org and you can just like type in your email right here and click subscribe and then you'll be notified of all the latest uh, information for our show. Well, one thing that I did, I did this games of 2017. I try to do this once a year, but it's just like a brief highlights, like 10 second clips of the games that I've developed over the past year. So if you it just kind of summarizes all these together so you can view one of them after another. I mean, most of these aren't hit games, just like games that I developed for simple game jams or my Ludum Dari games like Slowbot. So if you want to see everything that I've worked on, now some of them are older games that I updated, like the CCG Wrestling. So I updated it in 2017, so I went ahead and included that. Some of them are just simple prototypes, like this Myriad game is going to be like a Zelda clone. And then some of the games that I actually released on Xbox One, like Turn Back the Clocks 4. Um, let me go back. Um, so as I said, I did update the CCG wrestling game. Uh, I added make human models. I finished that off and added mechanism animations. Uh, actually I animated these guys in Blender then used the mechanism in Unity to actually do the transitions of the animations. Um, I did update the chess game that I had been working on. Um, I don't know if I have a video of that. But basically all I did for that was add some very simplistic AI. So basically you can choose whether uh, your opponent is AI or which side is AI. Uh, either the black side or the white side, or even both teams can be 
AI or both sides can be human. But the AI right now is just uh, the CPU selects a piece and moves it to a valid piece, moves it to a valid square or captures a valid piece. So that one still needs a lot of work. Um, another game which I don't have any video of right now, uh, I started working on an Easter egg hunt game. I actually have it on my laptop, but basically it's going to be a game where it tells you, uh, find a certain color of egg or a certain type of egg, like a solid egg or a striped egg or a polka dogged egg. So you got to go around and collect the egg. So I thought that'd be something neat to release right before uh, Easter. Uh, one thing I was going to bring up, there's this new tool. I just saw it on Facebook. Uh, let me get the URL right here, paste it in. Uh, I used to always use Playmaker, but there's a new tool called Bolt and it's kind of the same thing, a visual program editor. I can't, I haven't tried this myself. Uh, so I can't personally recommend it, but it's got some good reviews. Uh, the thing that I noticed if you have, I don't understand the new pricing of Unity now. So they have Plus and Pro, but apparently if you have Plus, you get this for free. If you don't, it's $70. So I haven't tried this myself, but I saw it advertised. So I thought I'd bring it up for those out there who may not want to uh, do programming. For the non-programmers out there. Uh, it looks like a, another alternative to Playmaker. I used to always be all about Playmaker um, until they started updating Unity, and it seems like each version of Unity breaks Playmaker, and I have a couple of games that are almost complete losses now. I'm not trying to bash Playmaker, but uh, once they start updating Unity, uh, it can wreak havoc, wreak havoc on some old Playmaker games. So anyway, that's all I had for announcements and show-offs. Uh, yeah, too bad we don't have anybody else, but me and Dylan are on. And Dylan this month, let me stop sharing. Dylan this month is going to talk about uh, save states and save games and Unity games. Um, uh, I remember I saw one of his games on his itch page. Uh, I think it was Retro Future. How yeah. you uh, were doing save games on the web, and I thought that was really amazing. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Dylan. So uh, like you said, today um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how to save game data in Unity. Um, and uh, I think you'd mentioned like in Retro Future that you know I'm saving data when it's on the web. Actually, Unity makes this really easy. Like one of the things we'll look at here is, um, well, I'm, I'm going to be talking about two different techniques, and in both of these cases, Unity kind of abstracts away the platform-specific details. So you you can write the same code and run it on the web, on Android, on Windows, whatever. Um, so. I'm going to talk about two different methods that I've used. One is a class called player prefs that Unity provides. Uh, and that's just a set of key value pairs. So you might have a uh, key called volume tied to you know a number from 0 to 1. Um, the downside of this is it only handles certain types of um, or certain data types. 
um, and it's a little more limited. The other method is you can actually serialize, you know, you can create a, a um, an object in Unity and just serialize it to like XML or JSON and save it as a file in the file system. This is stored in your application data path, which um, pretty much either all platforms provide or in the case of something like web, Unity kind of um, emulates. The, uh, the benefit of this is you can literally save anything to disk, more or less. Um, it's just a little more complicated. So the first topic is uh, player prefs. And this is just a static class that Unity provides uh, that makes it really easy to save bits of data. So for example, if I've got uh, something in, um, you know, like imagine this function existing in a uh, in one of your scripts that you've got attached to a game object. Um, I can just simply call playerprefs.setInt and I can set an integer value. For example, in this first line, I'm setting high score to whatever our score value is. Um, I can set a string. I'm setting, you know, the player name value to whatever, you know, let's say the player has input. And I can set a floating point value for, you know, in this example, let's say music volume. And that's pretty much it. Like that's that's um, all the different data types you can store. That's actually how easy it is. You just, you know, it loads automatically. Um, you set some values and you call save and Unity handles pretty much everything for you. Uh, reading data is just as easy. Uh, you can basically say, for example, I want to get um, I want to get the value that I stored as high score, and I want to load it as a, as an integer. Um, you know, you can do the same thing with strings and floats. You can actually uh, like you can use this has key method here to go out and say, um, for example, if I have if I've already saved a music volume, load that. Otherwise, just default to one. Um, so this is this is really easy to use. I didn't have to call anything to load this data from disk. Unity just provided uh, provided it for me. That was going to be one of my questions. If you call like get int on high score and that hasn't been saved already, I'm assuming that just returns a like a default value and it doesn't. You don't need to like a try um, and catch around this or anything. It's not going to throw an exception. I actually can't remember. I think in most cases I've checked has key and then set a uh, a default value just to be safe. But um, that's probably the best thing to do is check yeah. to see if it exists first and then assign it. Although I know in a lot of my games I don't always like check for null. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean you've got all the tools to check that. I know I'm looking for this key. And it has, you know, I can check to see if I've already saved it. Um, you can also go through and delete keys. So, for example, if I wanted to be able to, if I was storing my high score in player prefs and I wanted to clear the high score, I could just call delete key um, and then call save, and Unity would uh, remove that key and then update the file. So that next time I loaded my game, you know, the high score would be gone. Player prefs kind of has a couple rules. 
uh, as I've kind of alluded to. So you're you're creating a key that is mapped to a single value, you know, either integer, float, or string. So the data you're storing is kind of limited. Like you can't build this big complicated object and then, I mean, I guess you could serialize it um, and store it in the string, but there's not a real convenient way to do that without, you know, that's not kind of hacky. Um, each key can, de can be defined only once. So if you set a new key, um, it'll override its previous value. Um, so if you're trying to store multiple values for the same uh, player prefs key, you're going to have to come up with some sort of hack to, uh, to, to get that working. And, and we'll talk about that in a second. And typically, you'll want to test for a key's existence before trying to use it to prevent any sort of logic errors or, or anything like that. Um, so literally, all I'm saying here is those examples that I showed you that's that's basically it. Um, now, you can do some more complicated things with player prefs. Um, so for example, in one of the games I released, I was storing the high score for every level in player prefs. And I was just building a key that said, you know, level underscore whatever the level ID was, underscore best, you know, and I was setting that to um, the high score. You know, if um, if that happened to be higher than, than what was already there, um, this works. But you can kind of see that this could become like this kind of has its limitations. If you um, if you're trying to store like multiple values for every every level, um, it's quickly going to get out of hand. But you know you can you can still do a lot of things with player prefs if you don't want to get into anything more complicated. So the way player prefs works is behind the scenes, it's storing a file. It's going out to, or it's storing a file or like a registry key value. Um, in most cases, like here are some, these are some examples that I pulled from um, Unity documentation. And I think it has more information about this, um, about where these files are actually stored in Unity documentation. But, you know, like on the Mac, um, it's storing a file in the file system under your library directory. Um, in Windows, it's storing it in like uh, current user software and then company name, product name. In Android, it's storing it under uh, shared preferences folder. So you don't have to think about this. Unity just does it by default. And uh, like we were saying in, in WebGL, it actually stores it in um, in the browser. So browsers have this, um, as of like HTML5, they have a couple of different ways of storing data in the browser. Um, kind of like a cookie, but a little more complicated to the point that you can actually write SQL against um, your, your browser's memory for a particular site. And this is locked down to a particular site um, kind of like cookies are. 
And so what Unity is doing is it's just taking that functionality that's there in the browser and faking a file system in it. Um, yeah, that's very cool because I know cookies are pretty limited. I mean, a cookie can maybe have like 1K of text data at most, I think. Yeah. Um, I think the difference here is like index DB, and I, I can't remember some of the other APIs that HTML5 added. Um, the difference is they're, they exist like on the client side in the browser, and you're writing JavaScript against them essentially. If, if, if you're writing normally, it's not like a cookie where it gets passed back and forth to, to the actual server. Um, but yeah, like essentially Unity has found a way to make the same functionality work, whatever platform you're running on. Um, the, you might want to use player prefs uh, if you don't want to have to worry about writing a file name. Um, if you don't want to get into writing a bunch of complicated code to save your data. Um, or you don't uh, necessarily have like one single set of data that you're working with. Um, so for example, um, you know, if you're saving, like, like we were looking at earlier, if you're saving the high score over in one script and you're storing uh, volume over in another script and you're storing um, your player's progress in a, in a different script, you don't have to write like a single class that, builds all of that into a file. You can just call player preferences as you need it all across your game. The downside is it's a very flat structure. If you want to um, store anything really complicated, oh, sorry, I had a key. You're going to have to do some kind of hacks and workarounds. Um, and it gets really kludgy if, if you try to, to extend that too far. Furthermore, you can't get a listing of every key that you've stored. You can delete everything, but you can't say, you know, give me a list of all keys I've saved. Um, and then finally, if you want to store like date times or, you know, yes, no Boolean values, you're going to have to come up with some hacks as well. So I guess you'd have to like encode those as strings or something and remember what format you used. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's more, it's more stuff that can go wrong and it's more like utility methods that you have to, to build um, yourself. And what we're going to talk about later is if, if you save all this data to a file, a lot of this stuff you're going to have to do yourself anyway it just may make sense to do that, you know, in your own file format where you have more control than it is to try to make player prefs do it for you. So the second method we're gonna talk about is kind of on the other side of the complexity spectrum is uh, serialization to JSON. Um, so when we talk about serializ serialization, what we mean is taking data in your game, um, you know, in the, in the case of Unity, which is using C Sharp, you know, you've got an object and you're converting it into a text string. Um, 
that can then be stored to disk or sent over the network or, you know, transferred in, um, you know, a particular way that you don't actually have to know what the original object was. The goal with that is you can take whatever you store to disk, convert it, you know, load that text, and then deserialize it back to an object. Um, and the goal here is that when you use serialization, you don't have to write, um, you don't have to create a particular file format. You don't have to say, you know, in the first four bytes of this file, I'm going to store this number. And then the next four, you know, like however many bytes I'm going to store this string and et cetera. Um, and you don't have to, you know, like parse your own XML uh, or JSON. You can just say, I've got an object of this type, convert it to a string for me, or convert it to a string for me, you know, using a process that just a, a kind of an abstract process that's always going to be the same. So for example, this example code here um, takes an object of type saved game state, serializes it to XML, and then, you know, stores it to a file. And you'll note that I'm using like a built-in .NET class here. I don't have to. I don't have to write a file format that knows what my game does. I'm letting something else handle it, and that's the advantage of using serialization. So, does every object in uh, .NET implement serialize, or is that something just for only certain classes? There are certain classes that can't be serialized, but it's kind of backwards. It's not that the class implements serialization. It's that a serializer knows how to take a .NET class and can say, okay, this class has these properties of these types. You know, I will, you know, let's say, you know, I'm converting it to XML. Okay, well, I know it's got a string property of name and an int property of high score and a float uh, property of uh, volume. So I'm going to create an XML document with an element called um, name and an element called volume and an element called high score. It's just a, a general set of rules. Yeah, I think it's the same way in Java. I haven't dealt much with serialization, oh, yeah. but I think in Java you say implement serializable, then it then it handles like taking all those instance variables and converting yeah. it all to a string. Yeah, and it can be kind of um, like I said, there are certain classes that like you can't serialize dictionaries. I don't think. Oh, okay. Um, you know, there's some some kind of hacky things you may have to do, but. In most, and I've used this at work a ton because um, it's just one less thing you have to worry about. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, Java has this. Like I know Python has something similar called like pickling. I think Ruby has something called marshalling that's pretty similar. So this is not a new concept by any means. Um, so the specific example I use is I tend to use JavaScript or uh, JSON, which is JavaScript object notation. It's basically just JavaScript code that would be used to create a similar object. 
So if I've got, you know, a player's save game state, and I can say, okay, his score is 300, his uh, name is test, and he's got a set of data for each level he's played. Um, you know, and compared to, and, and this is actually what that, you know, the JSON would look like. Um, so you can see that compared to like player prefs, we can get as complicated as we want. Yeah, I've used JSON on some web development where I get a JSON object and it automatically gets turned into a JavaScript object, which I can use. And then I just apply like CSS formatting to that JSON object and it just displays on the screen and everything's beautiful. I think that's part of AJAX if you want to dynamically load stuff in. I think that's what the J and AJAX stands for. Yeah. Well, that's and that's that's kind of how JSON became... I think as popular as it did is you've got all, you know, all these web development frameworks, you know, on the front end, everything runs JavaScript. So it, it makes sense to use this format. And then, you know, on the back end, you know, whether you're using .NET or Java or, you know, Python or PHP, you're going to have some code that has to read that. So it's, it's kind of become, I don't want to say a standard, but, you know, kind of ubiquitous. Um, one thing I particularly like about JSON is it seems like the serialization functions for .NET are a little bit, um, a little bit more, um, or I guess I should say a little bit less strict, you know, like if, um, like the .NET XML serializer, if you, you know, if you're missing a property, it expects to be there. Or if you've um, added a property, um, it'll break. Whereas JSON is a little bit more lenient. So all that is to say, um, let's look at what our round trip is going to look like. So we're going to start out with our game object. We're going to convert that to a text string, you know, serialize that to JSON. We're going to store that string to, to disk, again, using, um, um, you know, Unity kind of uh, abstracts a lot of that away. So we're just saving it. Then when we restart our game, we're going to load that text, and then we're going to deserialize it back to an object. And so, you know, we should always be able to, you know, carry whatever game data we've saved forward. Um, so here's an example of what that looks like in Unity. Um, down here, you can kind of see the, uh, the, the thing that causes serialization to happen. Unity has a utility class called JSON utility. And it has a method called toJSON. And then that's literally it. So you pass that a string, uh, or you pass that an object, and it just converts it to a JSON string. Um, and then outside of that, we've got a uh, file writer uh, that just creates a text file. And essentially what we're doing is we're using another piece of data provided by Unity. There's an application class. 
and it defines a property called persistent data path. So what persistent data path does is, um, this is kind of like what I was talking about with player prefs. Um, persistent data path is just where data can be stored on whatever platform you're using. Um, if that's Windows or Mac, then that's going to be somewhere in your user profile. If that's Android or iOS, it's going to be stored, you know, at some particular location on the device. Um, if that is uh, web, it's going to be that WebGL or the uh, IndexedDB, um, essentially emulating a file system. So as long as you just say, I want to create a file called savestate.json in application persistent data path, you don't have to worry about platform differences. Uh, Unity handles that for you. Uh, same thing with deserialization. Uh, all we're doing is saying, go out, find a file called savestate.json in wherever we're storing data on our particular device. And then we're passing in that text to another JSON utility function called from JSON. In this case, what we're saying is the text that I'm giving you, create a new saved game state object with whatever data is in that uh, text. Uh, and so essentially we've just, you know, round trip that save game state object that um, is kind of an example yeah, that's just like pretend that's that's what uh, that's a class we've created in our game. As with player prefs, um, Unity kind of abstracts a lot of this away. Uh, like I said, application persistent data path is just a location on your disk where. Um, data for this particular game is stored. So in Windows, uh, under your users directory, there's an app data path, and Unity will create a folder under that based on whatever company name and product name you gave your game, um, which you, know, you should make sure not to change that, or else you'll lose access to all your saved data. Um, Mac kind of does the same thing. Android has a particular location on the device, data.com.companyname.productname/files. Um, and then WebGL just um, you know implements a file system using the browser's um, index DB. So the location of the application persistent data path is not necessarily the same as the location where player prefs get saved. Because like, right. like earlier you said, like on Windows, player prefs get stored in the registry. So. Yes, okay. I believe that. And just like this, I think in, if you go into Unity documentation, it's got a more complete list of this. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. But in some cases like WebGL, it always puts both the player prefs and this application da persistent data path, uh, yeah. both in this index DB API. Yeah, and the idea is um, you shouldn't ever have to think about that, about what Unity is doing, because Unity should be smart enough to do that in a way that is, um, you know, just like repeatable. 
it is good to know though if you have a somebody playing your game and it's like hey i lost all my game data what happened it's like well did you blow away your app data folder and it's like well yeah or if somebody just wants to know where their saved games are if they want to back I'm, I'm assuming you can go to like app data local now company name product name and back up your save game files if you want to like run your game on some other computer and i'm assuming yes you could do that yes you you actually could do that um there's nothing special about app data. App data is just kind of the convention in Windows. In fact, that's the... Um... Oh, and by the way, I've worked a lot with app data at work, and it is a hidden folder. So you got to go in and turn on your hidden files or type it in directly into your run bar. Yeah, we had, a, we had an application at work where we stored some data there, and there were cases where you might want to go in and, and replace it or change something in it, and... Yeah, it was one of those things that was tough to explain to a user. Um, but even there are a couple of considerations you should you should use when when doing file uh, input and output on Unity. One is permissions. Um, on some platforms, you may actually you know like that may actually trigger a a new uh, permission like that pops up when you install the application. Um, which usually isn't a problem, but if you're, you know, if you're worried about that, if you, um, if you, if you think you, your users are going to be skittish about that, you may need to kind of think about what you're doing. Um, the other issue is on, on things like Windows or Mac, you don't actually need to use application persistent data path. You can store files wherever you, you know, the user running your game has access. Um, but it's usually a good idea to follow Unity's convention because Unity is managing that file path for you. You don't have to check and see if it's there. Um, you're not going to write data that conflicts with another application. Um, you know, it's not immediately visible to users like we talked about. So that can be both a good and a bad thing. Like it's bad if, if the user actually wants to go in there and, and change something. It's good if you don't want your user accidentally deleting their save game data because they don't know what it is. Um, and, and also app data, like I said, is the standard way of storing uh, desktop application data. Like if you, if you go into app data under, under your user profile right now uh, under Windows, you'll probably see a ton of different applications from a lot of different vendors or a lot of different companies using it already. So it's usually just better to just follow that convention. All right, so JSON serialization. We went over pros and cons with player prefs. Um, with JSON serialization, it's really flexible and supports really complicated structures or complex structures. So, you know, if you want to, if you've got like a, a mobile game where for every level you want to store the player's high score and how many stars they got and, um, you know, whether they've completed it and things like that, JSON serialization is going to be really good because you just create a class, you create a class for storing level data and you create an array of it. And you don't have to do anything weird and hacky like you would with player prefs. Um, 
you also don't have to think about um, the underlying platform, even with something like JSON serialization. Um, Unity handles all the file I.O. for you. There uh, are the platform differences. The downside is this actually gets a little more complicated. Um, you have to read and write files. Uh, you may actually have to put in like some try catch blocks to throw an error, to catch an error if you can't read a file. Um, and it has the potential to be error prone, more error prone than player prefs. If let's say you add a new, um, if, if you add a new property that you're tracking in your save game state, you may want to test what happens if if you try to load it with that, like an older version of that file with your new code. Um, it, it basically is putting more responsibility in your hands as the developer instead of just letting Unity take care of it at all of it all. Um, so what it comes down to is, uh, if you have a small amount of minor data, you know, the data being stored is really simple and you want to not have to worry about reading and writing the file, use player prefs. If you have something more complicated and it might just be like a, a list of data that you don't know how long it's going to be. Um, or it's a more complicated structure, um, or it relies on something other than like strings or floats or ints, just like really basic data types, then you should probably look at, at serializing to a file. So that's pretty much it. I can actually show you the classes I was using for Retro Future uh, since I didn't really have in-context examples. So for example, in Retro Future, I had a class called Save Prefs that I saved where your, um, saved your location on the level scroll bar was so that you'd always, you know, like when you loaded the game, you'd, the, the list of levels would always go back to the same position. Um, and I stored that in Player Prefs because it's a really simple piece of data and not, not something I wanted to go through, like rewriting all the save data for. Um, essentially, all I do is say, okay, if, if there's a value, then um, if, if there's a value in player prefs, then I'm going to load that value. Otherwise, I'm going to leave it as null, and that just tells the, the menu to um, like not just go with the default. And then when I update it, if if the user actually changed the uh, position, I'm going to save that back um, and to player prefs. And I always like using uh, constants for um, when I'm working with player prefs. That way, um, you know, like I've, I've I've got the key name in one place. Um, I also had a save data class, which stored uh, this object called retro future data. And that stored things like the, the levels you had completed, the uh, music and sound effects volume, and whether you'd muted it, and whether you had uh, 
watch through the tutorial, uh, like click through the tutorial. And so that, um, I came in here and, uh, you know, like built my file name as application, you know, a file called retrofuturedata.json in the application persistent data path. Uh, when I loaded it, I just opened that file name, did from JSON, and reconstituted as RetroFutureData. If it errored out, I just did nothing. So it, it's actually really fragile. If you screwed something up, it would just stop working. Um, and then when you chose to save that data, it would just do the reverse. Like I said, write uh, JSON utility to JSON. Um, I was caching that. So basically I would load it once, make some changes. And then anytime I made a major change, like the user completed a level, it would just, it would save that data back. So for example, if, if the user completed a level, I could, they would, I would call this uh, mark level completed method. I'd load the data from disk. Um, I'd update it. And then I would, let's see. Yeah. And then I would just, um, I'd add the, the level that they completed to the list of completed levels. I'd save it back to the disk and then, you know, do whatever else I wanted to do when the level was completed. Uh, so that's pretty much it. Yeah. I know that's a lot to like go through. Uh, there's a lot of good information in there. Now, I'm wondering how secure, whenever you write out a serialized object, I've never looked into this, is like how secure is that object? Um, can, can a player just go in there? To, I'm sure it isn't like all your variables de defined in a row or pipe delimited where they can just go in there and change. Like I want to give myself a, a hundred lives and change it three to a hundred or something. It is actually not. Well, I don't know about player prefs. Um, I know if you're serializing the data, it is absolutely not going to be secure. It's just going to be a simple text file that they're going to have no problem Hacking that, um, yeah, <laughs> which is fine. And I was thinking, I mean, if people are determined enough, they'll figure out a way to to change their save data file to do whatever they want to. Yeah. Although, like, okay, so on Windows, like we said, it was in the registry editor. Um, I'm pretty sure that's just like a normal, like, there's nothing encrypted. Yeah, I doubt a player would go and hack the registry because you're, you're asking for trouble if you start hacking your registry. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think you've got, um, well, not necessarily. Like, it, it's, if you know what's there, it's hmm. not, not hard to kind of figure out what you're doing. Um, I was actually checking real quick to see if I had that. I don't think I have any of my games in there. Yeah, and as we mentioned before, uh, it is in the app data folder if you use the JSON. So it's like people aren't, most 90% of the people aren't even going to know that it's there. I mean, since it is a hidden folder. I mean, but if somebody's determined yeah. enough, they will go poke around and, and yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those things that if, if you're really worried about that because it's like an online game, then 
that's data that you don't need to store, that's data that needs to come from the server. Exactly. And there, there would be ways of encrypting it, possibly. But as long as it's happening on the user's machine, then they have, you know, the possibility of figuring out what key you're using. So exactly, yeah. So. I think there may be there may actually be things on the asset store that kind of have some of that built in. Yeah, I've been working a lot with OpenSSL myself, and it's an easy way if you want to encrypt something and decrypt something. But uh, yeah, very cool. I'll I think that has a lot of useful information. I'll definitely, if you send me your slides, I'll post those up on the website. And I'll, I'll definitely be using this from now on because that's something I haven't done. It's add save games to my... I don't know if I have save games in any of my games. Uh, I think a couple of my XBLIGs I did. But... Um, yeah, oh, I just I sent you a link to it there. in the chat. Um, yes, yeah, so let me grab show messages. Let me copy. Link. I didn't realize that would pop up like it did. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, I just want to make sure I grab that before I close. Um, close the call because I may lose that forever. Um, yeah, so awesome talk. I'll definitely be using that in my games, especially. Like we mentioned earlier, that you can like save a web game. I never knew you could do that. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing. Uh, see that uh, Jacob popped on. Hey, Jacob, yeah. how's it going? Pretty good. I uh, have nothing really to share or anything. Nothing new this month. Uh, yeah, nothing really. we got Leadum Dari coming up April twentieth. Uh, I mentioned earlier. I think we're going to change our meetup place. There's this place called Token. Uh, it's by, it's right here, it's by, oh, I guess you can't see that, but it's by the, uh, old, uh, dollar movie theater, I forget the name of that, uh, shopping center, but it's, uh, by Burlington Coat Factory, uh, where Fazoli's is and everything like that. So we're just going to change it up, sit just for a different location if you want to come out and join us for the Ludum Dari kickoff. Sounds good. Okay, well, I guess that's it for March 2018. As usual, uh, you can find us on YouTube. You can find Dylan at DylanWolf.com. I think he's Dylan Wolf everywhere, Dylan Wolf on Twitter, uh, and we'll post his slides up on KnoxGameDesign.org. Uh, you can find Jacob. I'll post a link to Jacob's game on his uh, Ludum Dari site uh, in the show notes. And you can find me, LeviDSmith.com. I'm GotTechGrad on social media. So that's going to wrap it up for March 2018. We appreciate everyone out there who's been listening on iTunes. And we're available on Google and Google Play and Stitcher as well. And as I mentioned earlier, you can find the video on YouTube. So thanks, everyone, and we'll be back in a month.